Well, good morning. Glad to see everybody here this morning. For those of you who may be guests, my name is Trevor. I'm pastor here at Round Oak, and we're glad to have you. Uh, if this is just nor where we normally are on Sundays, glad to have you here as well. Because we're going to worship the Lord, because that's what we came to do. Absolutely. So that's what we're going to do. We're just going to jump right into it. So if you have your Bibles, again, like always, and I hope that you do, uh, turn with me, if you would, to the book of John. We're going to look at a few verses here this morning, uh, verses 35 through 42. And this is kind of a continuation from what we started on last week, kind of a mini-series within the greater series that we're doing, uh, looking at just a few days' time. Because, again, a lot can happen in such a short amount of time. I know this is true in my life just in general. I'm sure you've been through many things that it seems like, oh my goodness, in just a couple days, look at all this stuff that's happened. Like life-changing events happen, and they happen rather quickly sometimes. But we're going to keep looking at this as we work our way through John, and uh, we're going to try to go pretty quickly over the next couple weeks here because it's kind of a narrative part of John where they're telling the story of what happened. It's not overly prescriptive. It's not overly descriptive, telling us that we should do something or just telling us what happened, but it's telling us all these things. And essentially, it's up to us to look at it and, and break it down and see what's really happening. So that's what we're going to do. But again, John's telling about the start of Jesus's earthly ministry. Now, one thing we should keep in mind, again, why we named the series this, is that all this happened in just a few days' time. It wasn't over days and days and days and days and months and weeks or nothing like that. It was literally just a, a handful of days. So that's something that when I'm reading through this or when I'm studying it, it's something I think that we should keep in mind because we start to grasp the weight of all that's really happening. Because it was such a big deal because of what is happening. And, and sometimes it all happens really quickly. When things start moving, when things start happening really quick, one thing that we should be doing is just jumping on board, right? When God starts to do something, should we hesitate and say, I don't know? No, not really. Because we're scared, maybe? It's okay to admit you're scared. I mean, not me. I'm never scared. But we can, we can start a list later of all the things I'm scared of. But uh, we should just jump on board. When God is doing something, we, we, we can't just look back and say, you know, I'll, I'll catch up with you later, God. No, say, okay, I'm going to trust you. And I'm just going to dive head first, even though I'm not sure I even know how to swim. I'm just going to go because I trust you no matter what. As we said last week, we talked about the up to and including everything, which everything is also my life. I'm going to trust you with this, Lord. Sometimes God works slowly, though. And when he does that, that's for our benefit. Because as we see, Jesus talks about this a few times. He's like, are you so dull? Let me start over and point this out so that you can get it. Because we are. We're so worldly minded. We look at everything in such a way that I have it all happening, right? I know what's going on. I got every last bit of it figured out. I'm super smart. I know all these things. And then all of a sudden we're blindsided by something and we're like, what is going on? And now we're lost. We don't know what's happening. And God's like, all right, let me start over. Okay, first off, I'm God. You're not. Okay, got that one. And he says, it's my plan, not yours. 
well, I don't know about that. And he's like, no, trust me, because I have this. I hold the universe in the palm of my hand, and you're also in that universe, so I'm much bigger than you. And, and we start to see, okay, God, this is your plan. So when he slows down for all these little bitty things, that's for our benefit. That's for our, ben our benefit. That's usually not what happens. Usually he's moving quickly, in my opinion anyway. I mean, I don't think it says this necessarily in the Bible anywhere. But I think he's usually moving quickly. So we should be willing to jump in and just go for it. Because what does he say to Thomas? He's, remember that when he says, let me see your hands and feet. He says that, he's like, well, blessed are you, right? But blessed are those who don't see. Do we have the faith to just step out and to do something for lack of a better word, crazy for Jesus without knowing the plan, without knowing all these things, without even knowing what the finish line looks like or what the track is going to resemble. Do we have that kind of faith to step out and do these things? Because sometimes he moves rather quickly, such as we're looking at now. Because in just a few days' time, everything changes. A lot's going on. So I hope that you found it as we read this little section, John uh, chapter 1, verse 35 through 42. Uh, follow along as I read aloud, starting in verse 35. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following them, he asked them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? Come and see, Jesus replied. So they went and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about the fourth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah. And he brought Simon to Jesus. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So as we look at this, I really like this because it makes me think. And I like to think about things. Johnny asked a question this morning in Sunday school that I'd never thought about before, and I thought that was really fun. So we talked about that for a minute. But I like to think about things. I like to try to break them down in my head. I like to try to, you know, piece all the little things together. You ever see like those conspiracy theorists where they have the the strings attached to all this stuff, they're trying to explain it. That's what's going on in my head all the time. So when you're thinking, that guy's nuts, you're right. So, but we look at this and it does make me think because we look at it, John had disciples of his own. You know, we're talking about John here. He had some people that were hanging out with him. And I want to be clear because we hear the word disciples a lot and we think of like cults and stuff, right? We think of like, if some guy has disciples, isn't that kind of weird? And it's not like that at all. Uh, it's not like John was portraying himself as something he's not. We've already been over that. John's like, I'm not much of anything. I just happen to be the guy that God called to do this thing. It simply means he has followers. He had people that like, hey, that guy's teaching is pretty legit. I believe it. I'm going to kind of hang out with him. Kind of like we all have like a favorite pastor. You're welcome. But, <laughs> but we all him necessarily it's following what god has directed them to say 
right? And that's that's kind of what it is. And I want to clear that. People look at that and they they kind of get a weird thought in their head. We'll just make sure we're not going down that path. But anyway, um, they were they were hanging out though. They were doing their thing, just kind of you know preaching, teaching, and whatever. Maybe having lunch. Anywho, they saw Jesus just kind of coming down, right? And, and what does John do? This this we talked about this you know, a couple weeks ago. Did he tap him like, hey, that's the guy? No, remember John doesn't whisper at all. He yells, he screams, he's proclaiming this. He says, look, it's Jesus. Not, hey, that's the guy. He doesn't whisper. He gets loud about it. Because again, like we talked about last week, John knows exactly who Jesus is. And, and we know who Jesus is today, right? And we're excited about it. We can't be quiet about it. We're not worried about offending people. And not at all. Not in the slightest. But again, we look at this. John knows who, exactly who it is. So we look at it in context as a, as a whole, as the whole thing, because that's how we read scripture. We don't get a cherry pick because then all sorts of things happen that's usually wrong. But again, we look at it as a whole. So John, their guy, right? These disciples' leaders say, look, the Lamb of God. Again, talking about Jesus. And it said that they followed him, that they followed Jesus, these two disciples decided to follow Jesus which is implying that simply they went the same way on the road because when we look at the word follow we tend to think like I don't use the word Christian very often because it's overused in the world everybody thinks they're a Christian and sorry but they're not so I said I tend to say the word uh, follow like I follow Christ and that way if people don't know what's going on they get the point a little bit better so that's not what's talking about here. This is the word used here is simply means that they were Jesus was going that way. So like, I'll go that way too. It's just following. It's not following as committing or being saved yet. Not yet anyway. So again, they follow them. And then uh, context shows us that that's not that committed following. Again, not yet. But that they're just telling along. And what does Jesus do? I like this part too because it's really fun. I like when they first start interacting with Jesus because, again, he makes them think. <clears throat> he makes them start to really uh, question what they really want. But Jesus, only he can do what he does better than anybody. And again, that makes us think. He asks them a question. He says this. He says, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? And I want you to think about that for just a second because how would you answer that question? Your, your, your leader, your guy is like, hey, that's the Lamb of God. And you're like, okay, I believe you. I trust him. I've seen this guy running around doing some things. Something's not normal about him. He's got something special. You start following him. He turns around. And he says, what are you looking for? He doesn't say, who are you looking for? This is weird. What's going on, right? It's kind of like asking, what's your motive? Why are you following me? Because I want to say this, and we need to make this very clear. When we come to Jesus, you know what we get? Jesus. Nothing else. There's other benefits, obviously. But we don't come to Jesus to get anything else in the world. We come to Jesus to get Jesus. And he's asking them, what are you looking for? 
Jesus is who we trust in. Jesus is where our hope is. Anything else, anything at all, even salvation is a blessing because of who Jesus is. We come to Jesus to get Jesus. And again, it says, what do you seek? Not whom. Because what's your desire? What do you really want? Because again, we looked at uh, this before, but the time scale, right? That all the time frame. What's going on in ancient Rome here? All the Jews were thinking that the Messiah is going to come and that he's going to kick Rome out of Israel and they're going to get set up this whole new, this whole new civilization. It's going to be amazing, right? So Jesus is asking them right away, what do you really want? Do you want this position? Do you want this, this flash and panache? Do you want all this liberty and all these freedoms to do all the things that you want to do? Or are you coming to me for me? And to be fair, each and every single one of us have to ask us ourselves that same question. Are we coming to Jesus because we think we get things? Are we coming to Jesus because we've heard some preachers preach this prosperity gospel and we're going to get all these fun, fancy things, we're going to have health, we're going to have wealth, all that stuff? Or are we coming to Jesus because we want Jesus? And that is literally the difference between death and life. And everything in between is also death, just so you know. Jesus is life. Anything else is merely death. What is your desires? What do you want? Jesus didn't ask because to know. Because Jesus, God incarnate, who is omniscient, already knew the answer. He knew what they were thinking. He asked for their benefit. And I like to point it out like this because this helped me get it, you know, kind of wrapped around in my own mind. And when you were in school and you had that teacher and you asked them a question like, Miss Teacher Lady, how do I get, I can't remember how to do this. And then she'll kind of walk you through and show you. And then what does she say? Oh, now we know. She already knew, but she's getting on your level and saying, now we know. Right? You ever have a teacher do that? I do all the time. I still do. I have to ask people questions. Now we know. They're not making you feel little about it. They're saying, look, we can do this. It's for your benefit. Just the way Jesus did here today, or back then, as we're looking at today. He asked them the question for their benefit. It's also for our benefit. Because we get to respond to it in a certain way as well. We get to look at this and say, how would I respond? Because how did they respond? They asked a question. I can't be sure, but I think they asked a question because I think they were caught off guard a little bit. I think they were like, oh my goodness. I didn't, I didn't expect him to turn around. And now he's talking to me. But they had to quickly get back on pace for what they wanted to do because what happens next was a little bit different. But I think they were a little overwhelmed, so they just happened to say, where are you staying? And I can't help but think but on the Mount of Transfiguration when Peter's like, you want us to build like a tent or something? And, and they're just blah because they weren't sure what was going on and i can't i can't say i, I blame them because i've been a little freaked out as well but again look at this they're not just asking for like his address right this is where are you stay it's not saying hey where do you live i would like to send you a letter nothing like that but they're kind of requesting an interview because again they're not followers of christ yet 
They're merely following him. They're wanting to talk with Jesus. They want to find out what John the Baptist knew. Because John knew who he was. The disciples not yet. But they believed John because they knew John. And they knew that John believed in Jesus because John knew Jesus. Now they got to make their own connection. They have to come to them themselves. In the same way that my kids would never be Christians simply because I am. You will never be a Christian because of anybody else outside of Jesus. The disciples had to see it for themselves. But again, they were still not exactly sure of what was really happening. And I like how Jesus decided to answer this question. He just says, come and you'll see. Come and you will see. And I really like this because Jesus didn't say, come and let me show you. He didn't say that. That's one thing I love about scripture. When you read it and you study it and you look at it, it's so cool and it's so amazing because the words that like maybe me and you would use, how we would explain something, isn't how Jesus did. Because I would say, come here, let me show you. Let me tell you all about it. Jesus said, come and I will, and you'll see. Implying that their eyes were going to be open. Implying that they're going to see something that they've never seen before, nor could they have seen before. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. That was every one of us before our eyes were open. Every one of us. We didn't care about the things of God because we were in love with our sin. Because we're either a slave to sin or we're a slave to God. And when we're a slave to sin still before Jesus in, enters our life and says, Hey, guess what? I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. I died for your sins. Our eyes were closed. So what Jesus was doing here, he said, I'm going to show you. No, no, no. He said, you're going to see. You're going to see for the very first time what's really happening. And I say that because of this. It says that they stayed with Jesus that day. They went with Jesus and they listened. They didn't know him before. But if you read into the other gospel accounts, what happens during this time? They started following him. Not just following him, but they followed him. It changed everything. Jesus opened their ears, their minds, their hearts, and definitely opened their eyes so that they could see. Some of us, it's easier, right? Me, it took me about 22 years. Some of us were younger. Some of us were much older than that. For us to finally say, yes, Lord. And it's not easy. Because the world is crazy. It's got some really cool stuff. It's got a lot of things that say, I don't need Jesus because what does the world tell you all the time? You can do it. You're good enough. You're strong enough. Pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. All these things, right? We've heard all these things. Every one of us have heard that. I don't need Jesus. But when you encounter the risen Savior, you really don't have a choice at that point. When you see who he is, that's called irresistible or undeniable grace. And you're like, I was wrong about every single thing ever up until this point. And we see Jesus for who he is and everything changes. Exactly what happened here with these two disciples.
they opened, Jesus opened his eye, their eyes, their ears, and their hearts. And I think that for a couple reasons. First, because this is my favorite part. It really is. The first reason I think that is because John, as he's writing his account here, you know what he does? He writes the time down. Why would he write the time down? I think John is the, uh, the author here, John. I think he's the unnamed disciple because it says there was two, right? I think John was the other one. I'm not the only one. There's lots of evidence that points that he probably is. But again, at this meeting, when he goes and he talks with Jesus, it was such a big deal for him that he's like, I'm about, I remember what time it was. Not just the day, but he remembered the hour. Does anybody remember the day they got saved? Do you remember what time it was? John did, right? But we remember those things. Those are big deals. That's why I think that was John. He had to write down what time it was because it was such a big deal. He noted the time that he was saved. He remembered what time it was. He probably remembered what he had for lunch the day he encountered Christ because everything for him changed on that day. It was so miraculous, so amazing that he's like, man, I just got to put what time it was. I think that's awesome. I think that's really, really cool. And the only reason I believe this uh, was the change point that it opened the eyes of Andrew and John was that... Uh, when they heard all that Jesus said, after that, uh, you know, what what they do after that? They went and talked with Jesus. They had to go compare notes, right? They went out to eat to talk about it. No, he's like, oh my gosh, I got to go tell my brother. I have to tell people about this. When Jesus entered your life, did you say, all right, I'm going to go take a nap because that was exhausting? Or did we go say, hey, I got to go tell somebody about this. My life changed rapidly and it flipped upside down in a mere moment of time so I have to let other people know what Jesus can do for them as well I hope that someone else was like that because we should be and that should be a normal thing it, it, it should be earth shattering for us everything that we thought every means of life that we've had before when Jesus comes in it should be different we should change. And everybody that we meet, we should think, do they know Christ? I don't know if they do, but I'm going to tell them about him anyway. If they don't know Christ, I can tell them about Jesus. Maybe they'll get saved, right? Maybe they'll, maybe they'll know Jesus. If they do know Christ already, cool, then we can have a good conversation for a couple minutes. That's a win-win. Nothing to be scared about. I think we should do it. But no, he says... Uh, he first, he first had to go tell his brother. I don't know what Jesus talked about with them. It's not recorded. But I assume it's something like uh, Luke chapter 24. On the road to Emmaus, when Jesus is walking after the resurrection, he's like, and he says that he's telling them all the things of the Old Testament that's concerning himself. By the way, first off, that would have been awesome. Having the author explain everything to you. That would have been really cool. But I think that was what was happening here. It was undeniable for them. And it didn't say they wanted to, but they had to go tell others. So he goes and finds his brothers and says what? 
What do you think? I, there's this guy over here. He's whew, pretty cool. What do you think about him? Do you think this is real? Has the long-awaited Messiah come? No. He didn't question Jesus after, that, after their meeting. After they were hanging out, after they talked for, I don't know, probably a little bit, I would assume. But after that, they didn't question it no more. He said, we found the Messiah. Now, if you say that out loud and you start thinking about it, you put yourself back in that position, that, that kind of time frame, or even today for that matter, if you said you found the Messiah, if you didn't respond because that carries a lot of weight. You're saying we found the one who is going to save the world. We found the Son of God who come, who's going to take away our sins. We found the Messiah, right? You're not questioning anything else at that point. You know who Jesus is. You're not hoping he is. You're not thinking this could be the guy. You're saying this is it. This is the guy. And about 15 minutes ago, he changed my life. So Simon, listen up. That's kind of what's going on here. He says, come check this out. You have to come and see this. You have to come see this. Again, are we that excited? Man, I hope so. Have you ever been that excited? You ever been that excited? You just couldn't stop. You had to tell others. You get to the point where people are like, shut up. That's a good place to be. <laughs> Keep being there. Keep telling them. You couldn't shut up about his grace. You couldn't stop talking about his mercy. How much has he changed you that he gave you a new heart? He took that heart of stone, ripped it out, threw it on the ground, gave you a heart of flesh, and you became alive for the very first time. And if that doesn't excite you, I got nothing for you. Not a thing. If you've never been that excited, why not? It can be. always be there's gonna be stuff that gets you down i get that i get down too right but we should be excited about this the same as andrew was he had to go find his brother so that he could introduce him to jesus we should be doing the same thing if jesus is the messiah and if he came to save us from our sins if he can rescue us from death give me one reason just one, why we shouldn't be excited about that. Just one. There's not one. There's not. There's not a single reason in the whole of the universe to where we shouldn't be excited by the fact that the Son of God, the Messiah, came and died so that you and that me could be forgiven. Not one reason. There's not a sentence from the whole of the Scripture that we cannot glean from, to get something from, to learn about Him, to know Him more nothing that we can't learn and just as andrew introduced simon to jesus we too need to introduce him to others exciting and again not taking the bible and beating people over the head with it again don't work i've tried but telling them about who jesus is merely speaking 
I know not everybody's gifted with the, the, the gift to be able to just have extreme eloquence and to talk the way some other people are. Just open your mouth and start talking. Say anything. And when people say, well, have, they have a question, right? Say they have something that, like you don't know. Say, I don't know. That's an acceptable answer. Because if you go out and you don't have the answer, there's a hundred other people here you could probably call and get the answer. It is that easy. It really is. But again, moving on. Verse 42. Moving down here, it says this. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, the son of God, or son of John. You will be called Cephas. And a little known fact about this. Did you know that this day really upset Peter? He was actually in a bad mood after this. Because the day before, he had just got his new business cards in the mail. It said, Simon the fisherman. And he was handing them out, having a good time. And then Jesus changed his name. Sorry. I, I thought my wife would appreciate that. <laughs> but isn't it amazing what God does? The way he works. The way he uses someone to get to someone to do something else. Like I can name a bunch of people right now in my life. I can just start spitballing names that I would not be here without them. It's not because they were anything special. It's because they said, yes, God, I'm going to follow you. And by following Jesus, that also implies that they're going to do what Jesus wants for them to do in their life. And for whatever stupid reason, that involved me. And they took time for me. And they didn't just let me do stupid things. But they cared. But God uses people to get to other people. And I'd like to believe that most, if, if not all of us, know what Peter's going to do here shortly, right? Turn the pages, you know, quite a few of them. About He goes and plays a major role in the history of the church. I say one word and you'll know what it is. Pentecost, right? But we know what Peter's about to do. And this was the start of that journey. We just read about when Peter first came to Christ, already knowing what he's going to do. About three years later. Jesus uses Andrew to get Simon. So again, remember this. God uses us in many ways. But he used Simon to get, or Andrew to get to Simon, right? So that Simon can do something else later. But we get used by God when we are vessels that say, Lord, use me. And even if you don't say yes, he's still going to use you. You just don't get no more blessing out of it. We have to remember this, though. You guys can do things that I never could. There are things that you are all able to do that I'd never be able to do. At least not well. I can do things that maybe some of you aren't great at. And that's okay. That's how it works. That's how it works. We're not all called to do all things. We're not all called to do what we want. I wanted to play baseball. The Yankees. The only team that matters. 
but I, I didn't hear that, but I'm assuming it's not good. <laughs> but I'm not there. And that's okay. That's okay. God, God has called us to complete his purpose, not ours. We get to be a part of all these things. It's really neat when you look at it. Some things that had happened in my life that kept me from doing certain things turned out to be a huge blessing. They were not a blessing going through them. Didn't like it. But it is now. In just an extremely short terms here, God used John to get to Andrew as a disciple. And so that Andrew would talk to Jesus, so that Peter would preach on Pentecost, and about a billion things in between that, yeah. So we see the connections, how it's constantly moving. What if, what if you were the Andrew? And I don't want to be too negative, but think about it for just a minute. What if you were Andrew and, and you encountered Jesus and you said, I don't know. I should go tell my brother, but I'm not sure. He's kind of a hothead, and, and I don't want to get, you know, punched in the face. So, no. What that does is it doesn't mean that God's not going to still use your brother on Pentecost. It means that you are going to miss out on everything that God is doing. Are we willing to just step out on faith and trust God even when we're scared or don't know what's going to happen? That's a hard part. That, that's the hard part. Because, you know, you may never have a big public ministry. You might not. You may not be a part of something that you want. There's a really select group of people. I want to be a part of that. I want the members only jacket. Right? Some of the young people, what is the members only jacket? <laughs> but you may not be a part of that. You may not get all the little things that you want out of life. People might forget who you are. And that's okay. Because being a vessel for Christ is about Him. It's not about us. And that's part of what it means about dying to yourself and taking up your cross and following Him. It's no longer about me. The fact that God would save me and let me be a part of anything he's doing is still astounds me to this day. Couldn't believe it. I, I, just, I don't believe it. It's, it's amazing. So what we have to be and what we have to do is something that goes against all conventional thinking. Is putting myself last. And that's hard. It's tough. But oh boy, is it worth it. Because it, again, it's about him and it's not about us. And again, another example here. Andrew was the one who introduced Peter to Jesus, right? And yet, how is Andrew introduced in the Gospels? As Peter's brother. Notice how he was the first one, but yet now he has to take a back seat. Andrew did what he was called to do. He did what God had appointed him to do. 
And for that, it meant being the lesser known brother. I've never met Andrew, but I don't think it would bother him. Because he knew and he was sold out for Christ. He's like, that's what I was supposed to do. He might have even been like, well, good, I'm glad it was Peter because I would have butchered the whole thing on Pentecost and that would have been really ugly. Have you ever had an opportunity to do something, knew you weren't very good at it, let someone else do it and they just nailed it? Kind of maybe this situation. Can't say that's what happened, but that's how I like to think about it. Andrew probably did a million other amazing things for God. You might not always have that platform to where you get to speak to thousands of people. Not everybody should. But we have to be willing to follow Christ no matter the situation, no matter the cost, whether I get anything out of it or not. Coming first, but being known second is what happened with Andrew. A real and a true ministry is not my ministry, and it's not your ministry. It's not there to prop us up, to give us anything. It's not here to make me something that I'm not. It's God's ministry. Any ministry that you do, the hearts and hammers, right? The women's ministry, the worship team. It's not yours. That's God's. We get to be a part of that. And then again, as we talked about seven, eight minutes ago, that should excite you. That God said, God looked at you and said, you know what? I'm going to use you. Like, Whoa. Really? That's crazy. You would use somebody like me. That guy can do it better. He's like, I don't care. I'm going to make you better. Again. Lots of stuff I've done has been a complete mess. And God so lovingly showed his patience with me. And now I'm a little better. But it's God's ministry. And it's something that we get to be a part of. It's a tool, a system, a catalyst for telling others about Jesus. Not for bringing other people around me. Not for gathering a band around yourself. But for gathering a band around the Savior. And that's what we do we do it to bring honor and glory to Christ no matter what we may get out of it also no matter what we may lose going into it maybe God calling you right now maybe you come here this morning thinking I'm on the fence about something it's a big step of faith and I'm scared to death to do it Simply trust Him. It's a lot easier said than done. But trust Him. Because if you fall, He's going to catch you. One way or the other. I guarantee it. It's going to happen. One way or the other. Trust that the Lord will see you through no matter what. Because again, if we're sold out for Christ, up to and including death, we can trust Him. No matter what. Because we're not our own. If you say you're a Christian, if you've accepted Jesus into your life, and he's forgiven you, you're not yours no more. How's that verse go? 
you're not your own, you're bought with a price. That means you're his. And if you're his, you can trust him. And if you can trust him with your salvation, which is a pretty big deal, how come we won't trust him with the day-to-day stuff? He's big enough to give you a new life, life for the first time, everlasting salvation, but you can't trust him with your job. You can't trust him to make the decision whether or not to sell your house or to change jobs or to put a Band-Aid on your knee, anything. We won't trust him with the little things, but the biggest thing is counterintuitive, right? It goes against all conventional thinking. Stop doing that. Trust him with everything. If you're on the fence, hop off and get going. Get excited. Don't miss the bus. And if you don't know Christ, it's just as easy as this. There's no time like right now. No time like right now. And when we see who Jesus is together as one as the church, we will see amazing things happen. Because when the body comes together, all different parts doing all different things, we start to see the church in motion the way God had intended it to be. Christ move, and we're going to follow him no matter Father, again, we thank you for everything that you do, for who it is that you are. Lord, thank you for your word that you give us, that we could come here and learn more about you. Lord, I pray that I was as accurate as I, as I could be with your word. Lord, I pray that your spirit was moving and is continuously moving in our lives. Help us to look to you more and more, to trust you more and more each and every day. Lord, we love you and praise you, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen.